0: Everybody, welcome to the show. Hey. Hey. Today on the show we'll be talking about Takashi Mike a little bit later. But for now, we got stuff. We got stuff. I wanted to mention that the first edition copy of Frankenstein sold for over $1 million at auction. It was back in 2019, but I just was wow. reading about it. I just wanted to mention that. That's One, cool. $1.17 million at a Christie's auction. New York Christie's. Yeah. Uh huh. Crazy. They had estimated it would go for like 200, 300,000, but no, it was a first edition copy of the classic novel Frankenstein. It's a big deal. Over $1 million. And yeah, that's a big deal. Everybody made a lot of money on that. It was one of 500 originally printed anonymously by Mary Shelley in 1818 three volumes and features the original hardcover boards. Mm. It also includes a preface by her husband, poet Percy Shelley, along with the dedication to her father, William Godwin, a journalist and
1: political philosopher. So yeah, that's pretty awesome to me mm. anyway, because you know, I like the book. Uh, yeah. I, I, that's why I was thinking like, I'm surprised you weren't, you know, jumping over people to get your copy of that. Uh huh. Throwing one, down for like the 4 1 million. million. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. That's what I was going to do. I think you have an
0: article that you wanted to talk about. I do.
1: I talk a lot about nostalgia on the show and horror certainly is nostalgic for me. And I think that during quarantine, during the pandemic, we all got, I think, closer on discord too. It was like really a way to connect. Sure. Because we weren't really able to travel and see people and it was um, a nostalgic topic topic for all of us who are on our discord and there's an article called why we reach for nostalgia in times of crisis oh
0: okay cool yeah
1: and it's a new york times article that came out um, actually in 20 uh, well yeah at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020 obviously i'm not going to read you this article but i'll share a couple points about it, you know, and talks about how trauma takes away our gray areas. It divides our timeline into a before and after. And so while it has the danger of creating this longing, uh, for the before when things were maybe safer and when we were unaware of all of this um, and protected by our naivete. So I think that that's really interesting to think about because I know when there are times where I'm, I'm really struggling and during the pandemic I was, there was a lot of like, Oh, I really miss how things were. I would try to go back to times that had really wonderful memories. And I would think about Halloween a lot and I would think about travel. So this article talks about how nostalgia it says in a study published this year in the journal Frontiers researchers found that nostalgia can help to combat feelings of loneliness mm. and a study published in 2013 in the journal Social and Personality Psychology Compass suggested that nostalgia can even double as a resource for psychological health and overall well-being i think it's why certain smells oh sure right Absolutely. our senses are one of the quickest ways to gain that nostalgia for some of us, it's October and burning leaves and pumpkin spice and yeah. nutmeg and things like and that. Right, <laughs> Christmas has a lot of that too for those of us who celebrate Christmas. Um, yeah, and horror movies and all of that. So I just thought, you know, this is not a profound article, but I think it articulates well why nostalgia does what it does. Mm-hmm. And um, and I talk about it quite a bit on the show, and and it really just rings true for me. Is we want it's like like the article says, let's go to our safe place right now. Yeah. And let's think about these things that made us feel better at a at a different time and represent something really special to us and that can create a chain reaction in our body.
0: Absolutely and I think I mean I'm I've tried to I've tried to create a maintain a safe space for us in our in our for sure. In our Discord. Because there's a lot of open Discords that you can join and I'm in a few of those. And you know, quite a bit of drama from time to time. So, you know, because these are people that you don't know, right? And um we can be whoever we want on the internet and drama can ensue, whatever. But yeah, I've I've definitely tried to keep it safe for people and have allowed People like, you know, if you've got an issue, like, please contact me. We'll just, we'll just interrupt it. We'll sort it out. Like we're therapists. So there is a unique quality of being able to like interrupt and do some boundary work. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, You know, or you just make jokes or whatever. But Mm -hmm. like, I think those, I, I also assess kids and, you know, discord can be a not great place for some people. Right. They can get all up in their, you know, drug friends or, you know, porn or you know sexually aggressive like any internet yeah facility like instagram or twitter or minecraft Mm -hmm. or any of the other things that i hear where teenagers are are getting hurt you know emotionally i have some clients who
1: come to session talk about it yeah and discord can be
0: that too so you know if you're a parent you're listening obviously you're gonna maintain some control over that and kind of monitor and figure out if it's a healthy thing or not healthy for your kid but like if a safe environment you know i know a lot of kids that have areas on discord or we're just using discord as as an example, but like where it's like their school friends that they can't really see right now, Mm -hmm. you know, and they get to like hang out with them and talk, play games Mm -hmm. and stuff. It's like really healthy. Yeah. So, that nostalgia thing is really
1: great. Yeah, and and the the very last thing I'll say about it is um, it comes out in our clothing as well. And I know, like mm. you know me, and I have like so many '80s ho- horror t t shirts <laughs> that I collect because I almost don't notice them anymore. There's so many. I of know. Them. I always wear one on like Sundays. I have to
0: check in with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of different ones and or, or just horror shirts in general. Just because when I put it on. It is a very nostalgic thing. I can think about that movie, how old I was during that movie, how many times I've seen that movie. And yeah, I mean, I think it's a big reason why we even started this show.
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: So I just thought it was kind of cool to see it in words. And it go- and, and I just was like, God, that, that, that's so right. That makes so much sense.
0: Absolutely. I wanted to also mention that the, <laughs> the gentleman Mark Polania, I believe his name is, uh, the filmmaker behind the upcoming Amityville Villain space. For those of you oh, who didn't know, thank there you, is Ice, Amityville for telling space. us about that. <laughs> yeah, he mm-hmm. did. But let me just add to that. Same filmmaker. He's making comes an aquatic creature feature called Sharkula. Oh gosh. And we like our shark week around oh, these parts, yes. so which is also being released by Wild Eye Release. It's releasing this year, as you might imagine. Looks to be a no-budget affair with an attention-grabbing title, cool poster, and little else going for it. Is what it, that's what that says. But anyway, it says the curse of Count oh, yeah. Dracula lives on in shark and inf- sounds like we need to watch it. Is my point? The curse of Count Dracula lives on in shark-infested waters, claiming the lives of a tourist community. A sea hunt for the new species results in monsters, madness, and bloodshed. This great white is putting the bite back into terror, and it has help with the aid of new vampires' intent on seeing it survive.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> that's going to be... I still like <laughs> Santa Jaws. That, that's just... I know.
0: Oh, well, that's a pretty good one, actually. With the Santa hat? Yep. Yeah, I've seen it two, three times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that comes out in June. And, you know, this guy, Mark Polonia... Is longtime horror maker. He's got like 70 movies, including Sister Krampus, which I've seen, which is real bad. Oh god. Bigfoot versus Zombies, Sharkenstein, Sharkenstein. Peter Peter Rotten Tale, <sighs> Lethal Nightmare, and Splatter Farm. So he's wow. got an opus. Okay. And this is his newest one. Anyway, I wanted to let you know. That's awesome. Because you know, I thought you needed to know. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna get right to your favorite part. Horror Facts with Kath, ladies and gentlemen. Where she blows out the mic.
1: (laughs) I try. I know. I'm ready. Number one. Mm. What state leads with the largest number of ghost sightings? And what state has the fewest? Oh, okay. It's a a duo. A and B. Yeah. Part one and two. (laughs) Number two. Jason Voorhees was originally named. You get choices on this one. (laughs) Okay. A, John Voorhees. B, Joseph Voorhees. (laughs) Oh, geez. Or C, Josh Voorhees. Oh, golly. Wow. All bad. And we can't really imagine it with anything but Jason, right? Joey Voorhees. And when you
0: (laughs) probably at that
1: time, too, Jason sounded ridiculous. Yeah, probably.
0: Just what you get used to, you know?
1: I I have a couple Friday the 13th ones on here. not going to lie. Number three, (laughs) it took the set designers how long to get the iconic shot where blood pours out of the elevator in The Shining. Oh. mm. And it only, mind you, I'm asking for how long it took to build it, right? But the shot itself only took three days to film. (laughs) Which is surprising. Yeah.
0: Seems like a lot of time, but it's really not. (laughs) Especially with that director. Oh, my God. They're lucky they didn't do it 88 times. It's because there's no actors in it. Otherwise, it would be like 12 days. Oh, God. Okay. Go
1: ahead. Um, (laughs) Number four. This controversial classic took the director to court. Uh, He had to prove in court that the actors were still alive and didn't get killed during filming. (sighs) Very controversial film. Okay probably in like the top five mm-hmm. number five what NHL city and or team was Jason Voorhees first hockey mask oh okay cool got it
0: thank you so much we will uh take a quick break and be back with Takashi Mike. and later you'll hear the answers to this <laughs> question <laughs> everybody. We're going to talk about Takashi Mike. So I wanted to just explore this from a film standpoint. In other words, I watched, you know, five or six of his films recently. I've seen more than that, but I, I rewatched a few that I wanted to talk about. And I know that you watched a couple too. So mm-hmm. we're going to go at this from just talking about a bunch of films, which I think, you know, everybody likes that. But I did want to say that if you don't know, Takashi Mike is Very famous in the horror world for having made uh, the film Audition in 1999 and also the film Itchy the Killer in 2001. So right around the turn of the century, he splashed onto our scene, but I wanted you to know he's been making films for 30 plus years and has over 100 pieces of media. So film, television, documentary, stage plays, music videos... (laughs) Like There aren't too many veteran filmmakers that can rival his career, honestly. You know, if you count every single commercial or video or whatever that he's made, it's just like exponential. But I'm going to call it around 100 of things that you might actually count. But maybe around 90 of, you know, things that you could actually find. (laughs) But still, like I'm going to spend the rest of my life watching all of those movies. He began as a shot for video domestic market going like and then went to the international film circuit and really splashed onto the scene with Aud- audition of course he became a major studio hit maker later and did a lot of top productions of japan and, and even series you know there's the dead or alive series it's like there's like three movies and there's the zebra man series so there's a couple of those so rapid success very prolific I mean, considering the massive filmography, it's it's really hard to get a critical handle on this because, okay, so I'm going to talk about Takashi Miike for the episode. Where the hell do I start? Obviously for the our audience, I have to do, you know, his most famous couple of horror movies mm-hmm. that everybody knows and sort of talk about those. But then I also watched a few others and then Kathy watched, you know, we didn't plan it that way, but she watched a couple that I did not watch. I mean, there's so, so
1: many to choose from.
0: When Luckily, you said
1: you were picking him, I'm like oh, I guess I'll just like... Random. I'll throw something on the list and see what... <laughs> what you where, can. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, or as a
0: listener, you guys can just, you can literally Google like favorite Takashi Miike films and people will have different lists people Mm -hmm. will have different lists and some movies make all the lists and so I tried to pick a few of those but you know so we're gonna talk about a bunch of things I mean it goes from everything from the like viscerally raw itchy the killer to the disturbing tones of audition to like the weirdest the happiness of the catechurus which I which is his uh, musical horror film which I watched as well (laughs) So, how about we just start with Audition, because if you've been listening since the beginning, which I imagine many of you are are newer listeners, and this episode isn't even available publicly anymore, it's only on our, the segments are only on our Patreon now, but, so Audition is a 2015 mystery thriller romance, 90 minutes long, sometimes the longest 90 minutes of your life. Mm -hmm. There are parts of this movie that are just like, oh God. Uh, after actors audition for a role, two are chosen to perform the final act, which doesn't really do it drawstones at all as far as a description. But I remember th- the reason why I even discovered this filmmaker was because around the turn of the century in 1997, 80, 98, 99, I was working, I was working working in the entertainment industry and so I was all up in my film self and I was watching constant movie kind of like we do now I was at a fevered pitch of like I watched a lot of media and I started watching Japanese horror at that time and there and it was coming onto the scene right it was there was a lot of it at the time and I remember watching audition and it was one of those ones and I'm sure you relate to this Kathy where you end up just kind of stumbling on something and then that something becomes like this very culty classic rate like everybody oh, yeah. everybody starts to see and you're like, wow, I just stumbled on it. Like I didn't right. read anything. I yep. didn't <laughs> I just what I like about this film and like is a is a weird word to use because it's just affecting <laughs> is that there's a female psychopath It's very fascinating in this movie. She's really great. She's super fascinating. We have not done a specific episode on her, but we could at some point if we wanted to. But I think it's because I've seen this movie so many times. I haven't chosen to to use her as one of our female psychopaths, but she certainly is. And it would actually be... And so let's just have the conversation now a little bit about that, is that it shows her trauma, trigger warnings for one for female psychopaths but more so violence against women and childhood molestation because those are things that you realize happen to her and then she becomes a psychopath and she goes to an audition for our main character to basically be his wife and they do this whole rigmarole around his best friend being kind of a cad and he's the one that like drags him into it but you. Really quickly, I mean, at least I did, really quickly realize like, he's feigning a lot of, oh, oh no shucks, I don't want to do that, but, like, he's in it, and mm-hmm. I I hold him culpable for the whole thing, not mm-hmm. just, but they kind of try to set it up at the beginning, like, the best friend is the bad guy, like, m- forcing him to have auditions for a girlfriend. Right, yeah, oh, I remember that scene. Yeah. yeah. But you pretty quickly realize he's, he's got some very traditional views about what he wants his partner to be and he's literally auditioning women and judging them and I thought I think it's a really interesting look at the entertainment industry in that way too because I've known male directors who are sort of looking for a date and they go to their auditions and you know they're like oh this one I'm not going to cast her she's awful but I'm going to ask her out, you know, kind of thing. So it it makes sense in the misogyny that we get in that industry. And that scene is pretty funny, actually. So there's some funny stuff in this movie, too. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing about Takashi Miike, if you start to branch out into his some of his other genres, is that he's it's quite funny. There's like a lot of humor. So. The fact that he can put a little bit of humor into this movie <laughs> blows me away because it goes to a very dark place. And so also trigger warnings around needles or if you like horror movies with needles or pins or poking, this has got it. So it's got a body horror aspect to it. I will say that some of the body horror happens off stage, like a Greek tragedy, mm-hmm. but some of it doesn't. So there's that. But yeah, I've always, in fact, in our first episode, which I was alluding to earlier, we each picked a movie and I picked this. No, it was like our second. No, it was our second episode. We picked, We each just picked a movie and mm-hmm. I picked this one. <laughs> I think I picked the game. Right? Yeah, you yeah. did. It was like our second episode, I think. And so because we were just playing around like, let's talk about a movie. So we just did. And I picked this one because I like I own the DVD. I own the Japanese DVD. I, you know, it was one of those ones that kind of marked me in a way like i had never seen anything like this before it was kind of my opening to that so also one of the ones that people will talk about from this filmmaker is itchy the killer and yeah i just rewatched this i hadn't watched it in a long time 2001 it's really actually a crime drama but also main character male psychopath with massive trauma from childhood and I won't give away the ending, but there's violent movie. Yeah. Really violent (laughs) movie. Um, there are a lot of trigger warnings with this that, that actually also just tells you what we're dealing with. Graphic violence against women, both rape, torture and straight violence, just like punching in the face, uh, torture of men, sexual sadism and masochism, body horror, lots of piercing and needles, that's like the whole deal, blood, gore, sadomasochism, like there's just, and yeah, some disturbing things. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of disturbing things in this movie, but it's got a Japanese sensibility, like it's got Takashi Mike's sensibility. There is a, all of that saying, I mean, it's a shocking kind of gore-fest type of thing. You definitely have to have a, a strong stomach for it, and be open to brutal violence, but also What I'm going to say is because it's almost a period piece like 2001, you can get away with not connecting to it. Also, it being if you are American or not Japanese, it being another culture, you can get a little bit of distance with it, too. So I find myself it's not a movie I'm going to throw in every Sunday, but but I can get a little bit of distance and it doesn't affect me like some other kinds of movies do for Mm -hmm. me. But and I and I actually, the psychopath of this main killer, where you learn all about his trauma and stuff, I actually find him fascinating, good actor, like it was I thought he did a really good job, mm-hmm. but it's a bloodthirsty hoodlum sparks a series of violent reprisals after his boss is apparently taken by a mysterious assassin. So basically what happens is this guy go, tries to go after his boss's killer, and then it leads you in all of these different places. I mean, I would recommend it if you like uh, that kind of movie, which I know a lot of people do. Uh, A lot of people call it like extremist horror. Mm -hmm. You would you would really like that movie. So you said it was really you've
1: seen it. Uh, I've just seen parts like uh, like scenes from it. So I know it's incredibly violent.
0: Yeah, it sure Mm -hmm. is. Uh, It's not necessarily a movie that I would recommend to you specifically. Yeah, but I would say it's 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 got more like audition. It's got more to it. Yeah then I don't know. I'm thinking of some extremist horror movies that don't have much more
1: to it. (laughs) I I was saying this last week where, you know, when he's pinned as a torture porn guy, he is just so much more. There's so much more depth to his films than that. Although there is a lot of torture and there's a lot of,
0: yeah, you're definitely getting a lot of um, that, but there's also, like I said, a lot of emotion and yeah, And you find out the story and why this how that's right. In both movies you find out why and how this person became a psychopath, which from our perspective is really interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you watched a couple. Didn't uh,
1: yeah, you? so uh, I've seen audition. And I appreciate that film a lot. I did the episode a while back, but I just remember really liking it. I watched two other ones. One is a really famous one that was re- American remade called One Missed Call. That's a newer one, right? Uh, two thousand three. Sure. And yep. I think the American version mm-hmm. was like two thousand seven or something. Oh, okay. Um, one Missed Call is a Japanese horror franchise that began Yasushi Akimoto novel. I'm not even going to try to pronounce this in Japanese. Written simultaneously with a film version Mm -hmm. that Takashi directed. Mm -hmm. And the story centers on Yumi, a college student whose friends begin to receive mysterious voicemails announced by Creepy Children's Song. The only one who believes her friend's deaths aren't suicides at first is a young policeman named Yamashita, whose sister also received the call of death. Um and then, you know, they went ahead and, and made a couple of these. A lot of interesting tropes in this movie, but the cell phone is sort of a vehicle. Right. Right. Um and it was new at that time, right? Kind it, of new-ish, yeah, new Newish right? at the time. Two thousand three. So it's I, I like this movie. I think it's a it's a good movie. I wasn't really a fan of the American version. Yeah. But yeah, the the cell phone is really just like a symbolism for, you know, being so attached to this thing and okay. and how it's literally killing people. Yeah. And that even if you try to get rid of it, it's always going to come. You you have to have
0: it right. So kind of a straight up thriller horror.
1: Yeah. But, Mm -hmm. but then also, you know, just there's this clearly supernatural component that uh, is happening every time somebody receives this call. So it almost has like a final destination flavor Mm -hmm. to it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it, it, It's good. Like it's a fun, it's one of his more famous ones I think is over here, especially because we did the American remake. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't even
0: imagine them trying. I mean, maybe they have, I just would, I would block it out, but I can't even imagine them trying to redo audition. Oh my gosh. No way. Because I'm sorry. It's just a seminal piece of work. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. For sure. I mean, I know a lot of people would probably say that about their some of their favorite movies, but like for me, it's like, oh, you can't I I would just you can't win for me with that one. No, you just wouldn't be able to win. That's
1: how I felt (laughs) about uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. There you go. It was like
0: blaspheme. Oh, yeah. No, I thought that was blaspheme, too. I did eventually end up watching it, but there was no I was not there was no way I was going to like it. No, I ended up liking the action, like yeah. the other people, In you know, like and maybe, whatever. maybe
1: if you hadn't seen the original, I don't know,
0: but they just, you know, I think a lot of people that liked it had not been, you know, like they didn't, they didn't know. see the, original, they didn't read yeah. the books. They That's didn't right. see the original. They weren't just weren't into it. And I get it. Cause I've come at movies like that before where someone's like, Oh no, you have to watch the original right. and you're like, Oh, whoops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but I kind of liked it. Oh no, <laughs> I don't want to sure. be that person, but I did kind of like it. Yeah.
1: The other one I watched was called Over Your Dead Body. This was a really interesting and talk about incredibly slow-burning movie. It was very bizarre. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he can What be. I will say about his work, I'll describe this movie in a minute. His work is interesting, though. He's very Shakespearean in the sense that there's very much an act one and an act two, and I think that there's a tragedy. There's not necessarily a comedy, but there's a tragedy, and then there's... The violence and usually you get this really dark story at the beginning and then at the end of the movie it just he throws in this crazy violence and that's what happens in this uh, movie as well so so it seemed really disconnected no 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 not in a bad way oh okay I think okay. he does it in a in a really great way where it's like oh my god now we're here after all that like, right what? yeah but it, <laughs> but it makes sense it's not like Eli Roth horror where it's like okay now yeah. we're now we're doing this and torturing people but why yeah so uh, a star Miyuki Goto. Who, that's the, that's the name of the, that's not the actor, that's the person playing the actor in okay. the movie it's a, the protagonist in a new play based on the ghost story yatsuya kaidan i don't know if i'm saying that right she mm-hmm. pulls some strings to get her lover um, cast in the play even though he's a relatively unknown actor other performers and jun suzuki is just naming off these characters right offstage the cast possessive love and obsessions exist as reality trapped between the play and reality the cast feelings for each other are amplified when it becomes clear that love is not meant to be both on and off stage love turns into a grudge and crosses the blurred line between reality and fantasy. Yeah. I think this is one of those movies that if I spoke Japanese, no. I I may have under well I clearly would have understood it more. <laughs> I, I read the subtitles, but yeah. uh, I think it the subtitles made it hard to be pulled into the the feeling of it because it was incredibly slow and just really, really flipping bizarre. And at times it was hard. There were a lot of silences and things that it made, and it was very dark Mm -hmm. uh, the the way it was filmed. But the ending uh, and how it turns into, like, what they're talking about here, how it crosses that line, and then the violent scenes are incredibly morbid and really interesting to watch. But the movie itself it was hard for me to get through and i really think that i don't like to watch dubbed unless that's the only it's option hard. i know so but I sometimes the- they're
0: kind of boring and so watching the dubbed ones is better if you're right. just trying to get through something because sometimes if it's if it's not your cup of tea and we just want to be filmographers right? right if we just want to watch stuff and i'm sure a lot of our audience too wants to just be sort of abreast of the knowledge of a filmmaker and it's like oh you just gotta watch the dub version because it's like oh so slow I'm never gonna be able to <laughs> got
1: <Right>. multitask <laughs> so I mean it was beautifully shot and all that but it just it was hard for me to get through but I appreciated it because I appreciate him
0: yeah I mean with with 90 films or whatever 100 films like you're just gonna it's just kind of the way yeah, it goes <laughs> yeah, it was really just like I'll try this one <laughs> yeah. yeah so he did want to come up with uh, you know some of his other sort of he goes all over the place. Like, there are samurai movies, there's crime... He does a lot of like crime 13 drama. Like Assassins? Yeah. He does a lot of crime drama stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I watched Rainy Dog, which is one of the ones that you'll see, like, comes up on a lot of lists. It's a crime drama. Again, 95 minutes long. A Japanese assassin stranded in Taiwan must take work from a local crime boss to make ends meet when suddenly a woman from his past delivers a son to him. This film, again it's got this sensibility and it's made in 1997. So it came out before audition. And what I can tell you is that, because I don't want to ruin the ending for anyone who might want to see what else Mika has to offer, is that he does crime drama really well, but he's got this lead character, again, who's a bit of a psychopath, But also then inherits this kid that's supposedly his, still a psychopath, ends up hooking up with like this hooker that he ends up having a relationship with and different things happen. But it reads very Scorsese in that sense, but it's a Japanese film. So it's got that sensibility. If you're not used to watching Japanese films, like you just got to get used to it. Watch a few. Uh, All of these are on Tubi. You know, free service. Yeah, they are. A ton mm. of his movies are on Tubi. So if you want to go down a Mike rabbit hole, that's your that's your joint because there's a ton of them on there. But this one I really enjoyed and I would recommend it as a if you like crime dramas, which I do, and it's definitely got that. Even though it's only 95 minutes long, so it's not the length of a Scorsese movie, which is lovely and blessed. Thank you so much. Is that not a traditional ending? Not traditional relationships, definitely darker side of life. Fully shot in Taiwan and it's raining the whole time. Wow. Like, as Taiwan would be. I mean, there's a couple of moments they make a very big deal out of when the sun comes out. Like, whoa. And you notice it when you're watching, you're like, huh, sun interesting like how many days did they have to wait before they got the sun that's crazy (laughs) but yeah it's just always raining this little boy that you know he is his supposedly his son it's it's a whole interesting thing it's it's very it's very much like you might not act the way he acts in this movie but from him as broken and as sort of difficult of a person as he is it just it makes sense I also watch uh, for a little bit lighterness. I uh, these are these are too lighter. So we're just going to cruise into the end of this discussion with a little bit of lightness. The happiness of the Katakurus. Now a lot of horror fans have probably seen this movie. It's a musical comedy. Oh, that's funny! <laughs> Almost two hours long. Came out in two thousand one, so right around this turn of the century, right? Like I was watching a lot of stuff. It's got a really big audience following. It's a very original ridiculous kind of film fearing bad publicity an innkeeper and his family bury the bodies of their ill-fated guests themselves. So the basic premise is that this family, it's like a, a man and a woman and a couple of kids. And I believe somebody's husband or something like that, all are living in this, they, <laughs> the, the father loses it. You learned this in the first five minutes. So this isn't a spoiler. The father loses his job and decides to sink all of his money into a guest house. And what he does is he buys this lovely guest house, but there's like nobody around and it's off the road. It's like building a guest house in the middle of Oklahoma. Like nobody's there. So it's not going well. And then... (laughs) People, then someone comes and everybody that comes to visit is weird. I mean, there's a, this point at which like the fourth or fifth guest comes and the father's standing outside because it's a comedy. So it's actually pretty funny. The father's like standing outside and he's like, oh my God, a normal person. And he starts like running towards the person. He's so excited because like there's a sumo wrestler and his very tiny girlfriend. And there's, a you know, like there's just all these like odd characters that come. But everybody that comes there dies in his guest house. And they find them dead. Oh, and God. then the family decides that they're going to bury them. <laughs> so. And this is a comedy. Hilarity ensues. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's definitely got a tongue in cheek, kind All of right. very funny. It's I call it. So here's what I called it. I called it a murder mystery musical horror comedy. <laughs> 'Cause that's what it is. You're trying. there everybody, you know, the cops come, everybody's trying to figure out like where these people are. There's like scenes where there'll be like a dead body in the middle of the room and you got the overhead shot with the family like standing around the body in a circle, like, God damn it. <laughs> like not again. Yeah. You know? I love that. There's a five percent claymation going on. Oh. So five percent of the movies got claymation. It's basically
1: whenever there's supposed to be an expensive action shot. It's kind of like when um Jordan Peele used the puppetry in Candyman. That's exactly really, really what it's strategically. Like. I think it's effective. I, yeah, it's cool.
0: This is effective. It's not used a bunch. Like I said, five percent. There's probably like three scenes, but and you can tell when you're watching the claymation that the reason why he did it that way is because that would have been an expensive scene like an expensive, like big budget action film scene. So we just did Inclamation and it it works perfectly well Cool, because it's amusing, a little bit amusing. And I also did want to mention that there's a zombie musical number at the end, near the end. (laughs) That's just that I I wrote, I wrote in my notes, this is everything.
1: Yeah. That's (laughs) hilarious. What's this
0: one called? The happiness of the catacurus. To end the last one that I that I rewatched is something that does I believe have a bit of a series, but it's called Zebra Man and it's from two thousand four. And I called this a family friendly special effects fantasy. And it's Zebra Man is a a superhero, but it's a guy
1: hmm. who they made a Lego Zebra man minifigure.
0: <laughs> really? It's a guy who made a suit. So it's a comedy with some sci-fi stuff to it, 2004, a couple hours long, you know, mixed reviews, whatever, but they made more than one and you can tell why it's family friendly. I mean, a man becomes zebra man to escape from his failures as a family man and a teacher. He's a teacher and he makes a suit. And then at some point he actually gets
1: suit powers and fights bad guys. So is this the same zebra man is the dc comics zebra man i
0: don't know because okay. i've never read the comics so i'm not yeah, really i just into don't know it. if it's
1: based because i'm trying to find the movie and this is what keeps popping up
0: yeah and and maybe that's true maybe that is part of of what it is but like as a movie it's super fun like they made a um a second one called attack on zebra city <laughs> oh my god and he's at the beginning, it's just... At the beginning, it's hilarious. I mean, it is a comedy, so you do laugh. And there's like all, of course, all of these like cheesy effects because he does go up against a few people. And he actually ends up having real power. The suit is amazing. Yeah, the suit is... <laughs> He's just, he's basically a failed third grade teacher. That's
1: hilarious.
0: And he has a cheating wife and a teenage daughter who dates older men and a son who's bullied. Like his whole life is just so complicated. And the title character is actually from an unpopular 70s TV series. I think it's called Takusatsu. I'm, my accent's horrible, I'm sure. But he, you know, the, I think Mike watched it as a kid and he was a fan of it and of course it didn't really do very well but kind of, so he made this film. Anyway, it's it's sort of delightful. And yeah. again, all of these are on Tubi and if mm-hmm. you if you just if you like the Japanese sensibility or you're wanting to become more familiar with it, Mikee has this massive filmography that you can find anything. Like there's literally uh, a murder mystery musical comedy for Christ's yeah, sake. That's awesome. And there's lots of crime dramas and dead or alive. Of course, I did not talk about that. And maybe I'll talk about that at some point, maybe in our movie watches or something some week, but like dead or alive has three or four movies and those are very bizarre crime drama things that are like very nightlife oriented i think the beginning of dead alive starts with you know a big montage it's like five minutes long it feels like it's like cocaine and strippers and boobs and crime drama and living on the street and it's just very nightlifey right so he's got a lot for you so check it out and thank you kathy for yeah coming on this little ride with me and we will be right back to talk about books and movies thank you so much for listening we'll be right back AHHHHH Hello, hello. Books and movies.
1: <laughs> books and movies. We're
0: gonna talk some books and movies.
1: I think you wanted to do, uh, say something first. I did. Our patrons are great, they and are. we're always so so blessed. Yeah, I'm just really thankful for the people who have connected with us, whether that's through Patreon or through Discord. But we did a Secret Santa over the holidays. And my final gift was took a a little while. I didn't know why I didn't ask. I'm like, well, it's a gift. It'll come when it comes. Mm -hmm. And it came yesterday and it was so incredibly thoughtful. 452 who is, is on our discord as well. He uh, ended up sending me homemade blankets, one for myself and then two littles for the pups. And it was just a very, very thoughtful for people, you know, For our listeners to put that much thought and that much uh, effort into a gift is just that really meant a lot. And so uh, my dogs are already loving the blankies (laughs) Um, as I am because it's actually been a little chilly here. But yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there and thank him. Yeah. Although absolutely. I've already thanked him uh, just to let people know, like, we really do appreciate our listeners oh, yeah. and those of us, the, those of you who are involved in one way or the other, even if you're not on discord and you, you listen or you follow us on Patreon. Uh, we're just really thankful. So,
0: yeah, I mean, I'm looking right at my secret Santa. It's yeah.
1: Like
0: she knocked it out of the park. Like I got all kinds of like, that one's it was hilarious. A, it was an alien theme. But She literally did that herself. It's a uh, what do you call it? Um, I want to say knit, I want to crochet. I want to say is it cross stitch? Yeah, uh, maybe oh. I'm sorry, blue. <laughs> I don't know anything Forgot about what those are called. I don't know anything about the crafts, but anyway, it's a picture of the alien coming out of the stomach. It's in, great, you know, knitting or whatever you want to call it. It's a door, and she did it herself, like so. Yes
1: people are special. And it's cross-stitching. I was right. Cross-stitch. Okay. Thank yeah.
0: you for checking. I don't, I don't know how to... I
1: knew that. I'm like the least I crafty person, but I, I think I had like <laughs> growing up, I had moms that cross-stitched and that's the only reason why. Well, and it's got a resurgence. Totally. Yeah. All that stuff too. During the pandemic, I was doing paint by number adult paint by numbers. Yeah. yeah. Me too. Me yeah. too.
0: Complicated
1: ones. Yes. And
0: puzzles had a whole thing. board games like people just want to get off the internet because they were on the internet all day for jobs but we uh yeah we got some really
1: very 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 personalized yeah gifts so that was very cool so thank you for that
0: yes thank you i watched a movie called the special Mm -hmm. 2019 horror mystery thriller 94 minutes long i don't know a lot of people haven't seen this movie i guess and the Mm -hmm. audience scores are not great on rotten tomatoes but I sort of enjoyed it. It's really creepy and silly, but uh, or dark and awful. Anyway, suspecting his wife of infidelity, Jerry's best friend offers him a supernatural encounter in the back room of a brothel. But everything has a price, and Jerry's night of pleasure sets off a dark chain of events as he spirals into obsession. So I do have to say a few things about this movie. I think it's it's horror sci-fi for sure. It's a statement on addiction. Okay. But that's a metaphor. So what you're really watching is a dude who's having trouble with his wife or whatever goes with another dude to a brothel. <laughs> the, the, the experienced dude says to the lady, he wants this. He needs this special. Okay whatever that is. Guy has no idea what it is. He's thinking it's like, you know, the most talented lady in the batch or something, whatever. Mm -hmm. So he's like, are you the special to this girl that's coming on to him or whatever? This is the very beginning. So then he goes into a room and there's just a box in the room okay, with a hole that's kind of like, you know, put here, you know, like stick it here. yeah, (laughs) Like the, you know, glory hole, whatever. So he does oh god and it's you're like oh geez but the but the other dude had had it obviously so and was recommending it so you knew he didn't have his pp cut off or anything so you're like okay we'll see where this goes so it's the most mind-blowing thing that's ever happened to him and then he goes away (laughs) and then of course like i said it's a statement on addiction he Mm -hmm. comes back Okay. And then there's an issue and then it goes in a, in a very dark place. <laughs> it goes it goes to the lengths that you would imagine any bad, bad, bad addiction goes ruining thing, ruining friendships, ruining families, ruining people and ending up with murder and disease and terribleness. And then the, just before the ending's coming, you figure out, oh, are they going there? really? Are is that what they're doing? And then, and then you—that's what they do. And you're like, okay. Now, I have to say, I—I I have a kind of a—I have a tolerance for weird body horror, awful, awful mm-hmm. like whatever. I like this movie. <laughs> I I give it three out of five stars, which means I would watch it again, like if I did a group watch of it or something. But this is definitely one of those movies where everyone watching with me would be like, oh, uh, okay. (laughs) Why are we watching this? (laughs) Which is the reaction I get quite a bit when I schedule a movie like this. And I don't schedule these kinds of movies anymore because... I watch them with people who like weird shit like me yeah. instead. So. <laughs> that's hilarious. But it's from 2020. And okay. the actor is like, the actor that plays it is pretty good. So obviously this would not work if if he wasn't. Okay. And he ends up acting just like any addict. Like awful. But he's like your budget Zachary Quinto. Okay. Yeah. All so right. that's kind of how yeah. he looks.
1: But it's, you know, the budget version. I enjoyed it. That sounds funny. I'll, I'll meet you with another horror comedy So this is, uh, I thought this was hysterical and I'm really looking forward to more films from her. She's an indie indie gal. We love our indies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her name is Jillian Wallace Horvath. um, And the movie is called I blame society came out in 2021 mixed reviews for sure. But I think you have to like this sort of uh, not just the genre, but it's intentionally annoying.
0: Um, (laughs) Yeah.
1: And she is hysterical and it's in the same, same like feel of maybe scare package or one of those okay sure. so she's making a documentary sure. so playing a perhaps semi semi-fictionalized version of herself director Jillian Horvat resolutely navigates an inspiring series of comical obstacles skeptical intimates and biased industry gatekeepers to get her first feature film off the mm-hmm. ground so the movie is um let me see i have a couple different tabs pulled up here Horvat plays a droll version of herself, also called Jillian. Her politically contentious script about Isra- Israel fails to get funding, so she falls back in a, on an idea she's had on the back burner for a while a film about how great she'd be as a serial killer. Jillian feels that the manipulative and predatory talents she has as a director are the perfect murder skill set. Or is it that the nightmare of filmmaking fills her with murderous rage, along with the resentful rage she already feels towards a certain young woman she nicknames Stalin? Um, there's a bunch of articles on this film that I started to look at. Didn't realize it had. You know, Variety did an article. The Guardian mm. did a uh, an article. Um, a hot topic, so it, to speak. Yeah, it's from 2020. I'm sorry, I think I said 2021. Mm. She is. I think she's hilarious. Some people might find her annoying, mm. but it is total black comedy. She plays a, a sociopath essentially, mm. and she's just completely reckless. And stupid and and <laughs> it's hilarious and she, a horror movie with a reckless. She's fi- she's just finding all of these um, random way. Like first the first death that happens is somewhat accidental, and the way that she responds to it is hysterical. And then she's like, "No, nah, I could do more of these, right?" And she starts staging them. And her boyfriend's like, "I'm really worried about you. Like, what's going on with you?" Huh. Um, but it is. It's funny. Oh. I thought I thought it was really funny. Yeah, I mean, it
0: got a lot of critical, yeah. like attention. Yeah.
1: So I, mean, uh, I know the name. I, I just don't think I've i watched it. And I, I'm real picky about horror comedies because so many are bad. But this one, is, it really is like let's just make a a really bad film intentionally. And it and she um she's I think she's brilliant in it. Okay. Yeah. That's amazing. I watched a movie called The Last
0: Radio Call or just last radio call, I don't think as of the on the front. It's a 2022 found footage movie and you can watch it free on YouTube. It's a Terror Films production. And if you Google Terror Films, they, you know, it's an indie, they distribute their own films, but they have a lot of titles that they've bought up. So I just try to, I like to check out like indie or smaller yeah, production companies sure. or distributors and sort of see what they've got. So last radio call is again, free on YouTube, the whole movie. It's a found footage, so obviously you have to kind of be looking for that. Mm -hmm. On June 30th, 2018, Officer David Serling went missing inside of an undisclosed abandoned hospital. Yeah, psych hospital for sure. (laughs) So that's your, you know, every other found footage movie Mm -hmm. trope, right? Using his recovered body cam footage, shock, his wife attempts to piece together what happened to him on that horrible night. So that's basically for sure what it is. Like the wife doesn't know what happened. He was uh, a cop and his other cop buddies, you know, went missing or whatever. And so the thing I will say about this is that I gave it two and a half stars because it was a solid watch and I didn't hate it. And I thought it hit, basically it hit all of the tropes that you want from a found footage. So if you're into found footage and you like to catch most of those things and that's your jam, you're going to enjoy this watch. I gave it two and a half because I would never watch it again on purpose, Mm -hmm. but I'm also not into like watching every single found footage over and over again because I just find it super, super repetitive. Yeah. It has all the found footage tropes, so it's a decent watch. Like if you like that, but there's no new ground in okay. my opinion. I mean they do all the things. They drop the camera. They you know, they do all the things that you do with found footage. Yeah. It's an abandoned psych hospital, someone's disappeared, and of course He's turned into whatever he's turned into. It was not bad. It was pretty good. Like it it paced along. I was interested in what was going on and it did all the things you sort of expect, but it's no wreck or wreck too. You know what I mean? Like it's not your Okay. It's it's not, I mean, it's very hard to go above and beyond with found footage in my opinion. It is. But there's it's only so song. much you can do. If yeah, you've yeah. seen
1: Blair Witch, you've seen or, or or Paranormal Activity, you've seen them all.
0: Um, uh, well, some are better watching Rec with you, then, yeah, some are better than others for yeah, sure and there's a few that yeah. just really rise to the top. I mean yeah. the the Deborah Logan one is really good, yeah, there's some others but there-. Anyway. Are. Mm-hmm.
1: I watched a movie from twenty seventeen called The Curse of Buck Road. This is uh Danny Glover and Evan Ross. It's a 2017 Canadian horror film. I'm watching a lot of Canadian horror films lately. Maybe
0: there's just a lot of them on there. There might
1: be. Yeah. I don't know. So the story, well, first let me tell you what, what Buck Out Road is. Sure. We have some listeners in, in New York, so they've probably heard of it. Driving down uh, this haunted New York road will give you nightmares. So mm. here in New York, no matter which region you live in, you're almost always guaranteed to have a local haunted legend in your hometown from Gravity Hills to Haunted Asylums, there's an abundance of creepy sites. So Buckout Road is just outside of New York's Big Apple. This Westchester County Haunted Road has been a longtime favorite place to investigate. Uh, with not one but several substantially chilling tales surrounding this road, it's hard not to not feel creeped out even if you don't actually see any, you know, any ghosts. So this is what this movie is based on. Mm-hmm. Aaron Powell returns home from the naval postgraduate school to his grandfather, a brilliant psychiatrist, Lawrence Powell, played by Denny Glover. Dr. Powell and his colleague, police detective Roy Harris, are investigating a recent suicide of college professor Stephanie Hancock, who suffered of nightmares involved uh, involving the infamous urban legends of Buckout Road. While they think she was mentally unstable, Mrs. Hancock's student Cleo Harris starts to show the same symptoms as she was working on an assignment about Buckout Road. Cleo and Aaron realize that they have to solve the mystery of how to stop the evil before it takes their souls as well. Um there's some really cool twists at the end. I'm not gonna give it away. It, you know, it's an urban legend movie, so y- you can take it or leave it. Some people don't really care about those. I'm whatever about it but I thought it sounded interesting and I do like Danny Glover so I watched it but the way that they they solve it and they put a stop to it I think is kind of clever so sure. it, it ends the, I felt like they nailed the ending the movie itself was okay it's like it's one of those that you just kind of watch it's not deeply profound it's based on an urban legend but there's some things that happen in the movie that kind of make up for that and okay. the, I thought the ending was was kind of cool pretty good performances I mean. pretty good performances yeah, yeah the acting was great mm-hmm. yeah cool. yeah
0: there's two things I want to mention. One is that I've been watching a lot of ridiculous movies, so I watched Evil Bong Six Six Six, which is the which is the newest in the franchise of Evil Bong. And if you like Evil Bong or Ginger Ginger Dead Man or whatever it's called, um, then you'll like this. It's only an hour long. Okay, uh, Darcy Diana Prince has a like a very brief scene in it. Uh, oh, nice! so that's funny she's the best actor in it for sure yeah in like 20 seconds there's a little bit of ginger dead man in there and there's evil bong and it's fucking ridiculous and it's only an hour long so if you're into that franchise i mean go for it there's you know the boob foo the mm-hmm. usual <laughs> boob foo is there cute girls and bad acting and a A bong that talks like (sighs) your mama is going to whoop your butt kind of bong. And then like there's a portal to hell because it's 666, right? So what happens is they go to sexy hell. Oh. And so sexy hell has like your low budget flea, you know, flea from the red hot chili peppers is the devil. And he's like getting stoned and hanging out in hell. And then it's like sexy hell. And they literally have him like lined up against a, like a scene of hell. Like it's really bad.
1: Oh my God. But what? I
0: laughed. And they're all in like sexy outfits. It's just like a bunch of girls, you know. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Oh. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the other Evil Bongs, but Evil I Bongs have not. started back in the day Okay. With like Cheech and Chong and the, you know, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. You oh, know yeah. like, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So anyway, hour long, ridiculous. And then, of course, uh, we watched uh, Slumber Party Massacre 2. Oh, that's awesome. I'm sorry Disc I missed that one. That's a one. Which is a, a super one. fun, super fun one, Driller Killer in there. With the guitar. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I watched a movie called Ice Spiders and Teen
1: Witch. and Oh, we just, did watch Teen yeah. Witch. That was a lot of fun. There's
0: been a lot of ridiculous movies. And so that's been a lot of fun.
1: What do we watch the same night as Teen Witch? We watched another one. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I did want
0: to mention one thing before we get to uh-huh. Uh I <laughs> wanted to mention that I am ha- about halfway through a book called The Jigsaw Man. Now, okay. if you Google The Jigsaw Man, you're going to come up with a lot of like crime dramas and stuff. So I just want to be clear that this one is by Gord Rollo. A broken down, a broken man down on his luck. Michael Fox is a homeless man living in a garbage dumpster beneath the Carver Street Bridge in Buffalo, New York. He's bitterly depressed and ready to commit suicide. Anything to put an end to his miserable existence. An offer too good to refuse. When a mysterious billionaire surgeon offers Michael $2 million for his right arm, he thinks his luck might be about to change. Little does he know that the surgeon has other plans for him his arm is only the beginning. It's a modern day Frankenstein, basically. So that tells you a little bit about what's going to happen. But I'm not necessarily giving the major plot points away by saying that. Although I will say like the first quarter of the book is like, you kind of getting used to that and seeing the context and understanding who the doctor is and understanding this guy's story. And then it kind of goes from there. And so far it's gone in some directions that i didn't expect but i will say like the first i don't know third of the book like was very predictable because you kind of like they make the setup and that's like you gotta get there and they get there pretty fast i'm mm-hmm. only about like halfway through so okay but it's uh it's pretty sick and twisted and obviously it's body horror yeah so luckily i'm reading it with a couple of other people so we get to go like what? Okay, <laughs> and it's a fun book to do that way because it's like you get to a certain part, you're like, okay, we're gonna read to chapter fifteen or whatever, and then you get together for just maybe
1: like five minutes, and you're yeah. like, what the yeah, fuck is happening? <laughs> and it's called what the the Jigsaw, Jigsaw Man, the Jigsaw Man. Okay,
0: Gord Rollo. So I wanted to mention that. So anyway, let's get to the answers of your horror facts <laughs> with <Kath. laughs> That's right.
1: Okay. Shannon, what state <laughs> leads with the largest number of ghost sightings? Uh,
0: Texas? Yes. Thank you. That was definitely a deduction.
1: 7,315. Uh, oh. Well, it's a large state. That was why my deduction. Yeah. California came in second at 6,888. Cool. We're pretty big too. Followed by Ohio and then Michigan. So what's our least? Oh, uh... I'm going to go with Florida. Delaware. <laughs> small. Delaware small had 128. I would feel like Delaware would have a lot, though, just because mm-hmm. I feel like East Coast. I don't know. Seems Well,
0: to- yeah, definitely East Coast. Definitely North. I wasn't going to go Northern because I'm sure they have a lot. But
1: yeah, I mean, Delaware, I, I think
0: it's really related to size. Like Delaware is pretty small.
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's see. Number two. Jason Voorhees was originally named John Joseph or Josh? Josh. Josh. <laughs> Josh. Ding, 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 ding. Two ding, ding, ding. for two. Two for two. It took the set designers of The Shining how long to get the iconic shot where blood pours out of the elevator, although the shot only took three days to film. Uh, I don't know the answer to this one. And just take a guess. Oh,
0: okay, so you're looking for how, how, long, how long it took to build the set. Yeah, uh, Six weeks. One year. Oh, well, that makes sense because of who the yes. director is. Yes, that's right. Because otherwise, it shouldn't take that long. No. Because you probably
1: went, I don't like it. Do it again.
0: Mother of God, with no clear direction. No. Or no, actually, probably with very specific, very difficult that nobody to could do. That nobody hard could do. Direction. Yeah. yeah,
1: that you can't live up to. <laughs> okay. Number three. It took, oh, wait, no, no, number four, excuse me. This controversial classic took the director to court. He had to prove in court that the actors were still alive and did not get killed during filming. Yeah, this one I definitely don't know. Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, my God, I should have guessed. I was totally going to guess that. I mean, it oh makes sense, God, right? I
0: was totally going to guess that movie. I should have guessed. Because it's almost a film. Okay. Yeah, I know it, I
1: got it right in my head. Yeah, and it's <laughs> almost, fe- it feels like a documentary when you're watching it.
0: Well, yes, that's why. That's why, for sure. And they talk about it a lot. Yep. Yeah, they talk about it a lot.
1: And then number five, what NHL city and or team was Jason Voorhees' first hockey mask? Um, Vegas? Vegas did not have a hockey team in the 1950s, but Detroit did. Ah, look at you. That's why you knew. It was a Detroit Red Wings mask from the 1950s. That's why you knew yes nice
0: mm-hmm. thank you so much for listening to this show today Kathy thank you for your facts always and we will see you next time <laughs>